if you want, we can just ask one question. You can just talk for the rest of the time and we can stop. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, it, you, you don't really want that, though. Mm, I want it, but... <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to episode 133 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh. I am joined, as always, by Sam Miller, and for the first time, by Ken Funk. Hello, Sam and Ken. Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, We are going to talk about the White Sox today, because that is next on our continuing tour of every team. Uh, so we're going to talk to Ken, who wrote the White Sox chapter for the annual, and then we're going to talk to, or, or Pete already talked to, Mark Gonzalez, uh, the White Sox beat writer for the Chicago Tribune. So that will come up after this. It just occurred to me as we were preparing for this that maybe we should tell people to buy the book for once. What do you think of that idea? I, I just I don't think that it needs to be so explicit. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, maybe once wouldn't hurt. I mean, what? Like, like <laughs> they they want to buy. They, they would buy it. They know of it. They're yeah. aware of it. But they need they need to be. They literally need to be told they, by. They're sitting there for the last episodes, <laughs> going, "Where do I buy this book? How? When? For how well, much?" Maybe, no, maybe they're on the fence right now, and after we're done talking about the White Sox, they're just going to go out and pre-order it just because it was so good. That is possible. Uh, well, anyway, if they... I, I have to... I assume that people do buy the book already and that what we're doing is more of a supplement so that they'll enjoy the book more. I really don't think of this as a marketing thing so much yeah. as a, a, a total total audience experience kind of a thing. Probably. Probably <laughs> most of the people who are listening to this already read BP, already read the book. Uh, but if you have never read the book before, if you want to read the book, it comes it's a great out. book. It is a good book, and we put a lot of work into it. Uh, and it comes out officially on February 25th, but it always comes out before the official release date, usually about a week before. So you could probably have it in your hands two weeks from today, I would say, if you're listening to this when it first came out. I used to drive home on my lunch break to check the mail to see if it was there. That's how excited I was for the book. How long a drive was that? It was like a mile and a half. Sometimes I would bicycle. Okay. Uh, and right now you can buy it for fourteen thirty-eight is the price of the book at, at Amazon and, and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, and you can read the writing of all of the fine people that we have spoken to already and will be speaking to over the next few weeks. Plus the, the top prospect stuff from Jason Parks and his crew and all the Pakotas and all that stuff. Anyway, now that we anyway. now that we forced Ken to sit through this infomercial, uh, the White Sox. Where should we start with this, so, that team? Yeah, so I I think that what we should I, I the White Sox have um, are sort of by default in a win now window because they have a, you know a fairly terrible farm system. The Tigers also are by default in a win now uh, situation because they also have a terrible farm system. And so they're both kind of in the same stage organization-wise, except it seems to me that the Tigers are significantly better. Uh, And so I just wonder whether this is going to – like we're going to look back on these few years of the White Sox as this really dark period where they won like 85 and then 83 and then 79 and then 76. And like the whole time they weren't able to keep up with the Tigers and they just sort of gradually got sadder and sadder. Is there more optimism for a White Sox fan than that? 
Well, as much as I'd like to say yeah, um, I'm going to have to say no. I, I think I totally agree with uh, what you said, Sam. Um, when they are in a win now period, they're always in a win now period. That's been uh, the Kenny Williams uh, motif and his whole stay in, on the South Side. Um, he never wants to punt on a season. They've not done much with the farm system, obviously. Um, they've got a few talented players down there, no one that's anywhere near uh, able to help them on the big league club. And, you know, the problem is they're just not as good as the Tigers. The Tigers, uh, with Mike Illich, are willing to spend a lot more money. Um, they, they don't have much of a farm system either. But when you just go through both lineups, yeah, the, 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 the Sox just are not as good as the Tigers. They're in the same division, so they're just going to be looking up at them for the next couple of years. And, you know, so the White Sox are kind of in baseball hell that way. You know, they're not really in a position where they can go into a total teardown mode the way that, say, the Houston Astros did. Um, or are in the process of doing because they share a city with the Cubs. And there's a fear that if they're not, you know, producing on the field, if they have a few really down seasons, that people just aren't going to show up at the ballpark. Um, so, yeah, they're really in a tough spot when it, when it comes to uh, their current competitive ecology in the American League Central. Is there any sign, do you think, that that is changing or will change under Rick Hahn? Because it has been... It has been a pattern that, as you say, they haven't really given up on a season. They've always been willing to trade prospects for a veteran. So that's kind of killed the farm system. But also the fact that they were one of the lowest spenders under the old draft system, usually, and also weren't very active internationally uh, signing amateur talent. Is that something that has changed it at all, at all? Or is there any sort of rhetoric coming out of the semi-new regime about wanting to invest more in the farm system? Or is it even possible with the new CBA to kind of get out of this situation quickly? Right. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's a bad time to start doing that. If you haven't, you know, you've sort of missed your window when you really could decide to spend more money in the draft, when you could really decide to sort of get a competitive advantage by building your team that way. Um, and when we talk about a new regime, um, as, as impressive as Rick Hahn is, it's not like he's come in from the outside. He's been a part of this organization for a decade now. He and Kenny Williams have been joined at the hip in a lot of ways as far as the way that they've run the organization. Uh, Rick has had a lot of input in all of the decisions that have been made at the, at the highest levels in the organization. And even though Kenny's been kicked upstairs to exec VP, um, it's not like he's not going to have his fingerprints over the way the organization is run. So while I think that there's, you know, these are smart people. They're smart baseball people. And they've managed to keep uh, a mid-market team competitive for, for quite a long time. Um, so I, I don't think that there's going to be a sea change necessarily, but they, they do understand that they do need to be able to rebuild the farm system to stay competitive. Um, I, it's just it's going to take some time to do that. I mean, they've, they say that this is something that they want to do. Um, it, it's just it's been so hollowed out. It's such a brownfield at this point that it's going to take a long time. Um, and their big fear is that the fans, if they go into a fallow period uh, at, at the big league level, they're just not going to have fans uh, in the seats and they're not going to be able to get the money that they need to be able to fill in the roster with the free agents that you inevitably will need to stay competitive. What was your perception of that transfer of power? Was it sort of a, they were tired of having Kenny Williams do the day-to-day -day and wanted to kind of give him a, a nominal promotion, but sort of have him be further removed from the process? Or was it more of a needing to keep Rick Hahn and needing to put him in that role to keep him from going somewhere else? Or, or is Kenny Williams just as important to the process now as he was before? 
Well, I, my impression, and I think most people's impression, is that it's more of the latter, that, that Rick Hahn was on a lot of short lists for GM jobs around uh, around the league. And if if it wasn't going to be soon, he was going to leave. And he's been a key component of the, of the front office for a long time. So even though it's a change of titles, and I'm, I'm sure that, that, uh, that Rick Hahn is going to have a bigger role, it's, it's not as significant a change as you'll see in a lot of other organizations when you get a new GM. Mm-hmm. So um, what is Robin Ventura like as a manager? It normally takes a few years, I think, before people kind of get a, a read on what a manager's proclivities are uh, unless they get kind of caricaturized early. Um, so I, I, I don't really think I could tell you much about Robin Ventura as a manager at this point. Do you have a sense of what sort of general is? Well, he's definitely – well, the biggest thing about him is that he's not Ozzy Guillen. I mean, I think that that was that was a big thing for the organization was to sort of get out of the extraordinary drama of the uh, Kenny and Ozzy show that had been going on for some time. Uh, Ventura was looked as as, as a safe hand, um, someone who, from the outside, people have talked about him being laid back and maybe not being you know much of a much of a leader. But those that have played with him and those that know him pretty well, um, he was he was leader by example, and he's. He he runs a, a a pretty stern clubhouse. I mean, he, he's earned the respect of the of the players. And to me, you know, this may sound like heresy when I'm talking about baseball, but of all the major sports, I honestly think that the tactical wizardry of of the the manager, um, what they're doing on the field during the day, is probably the least important of all the major sports, and to a certain extent. Um, and what Ventura is good at are the things that I think it's most important for managers to be good at, which is to get his players prepared, to put them in the proper position to succeed, and uh, to get them on board with, with the program. And I think that, you know, it's only been one season, but you'd, you'd have to say it's been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do, you, uh, do you think there's any reason to continue paying attention to, to Gordon Beckham at this point? <laughs> Well, you know, it's 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 amazing the point that that uh, that that he's gotten to in his career. You know, if if, if uh, Kevin Goldstein wasn't the last person to jump off of uh, the Beckham bandwagon, I probably was. You know, I, I could not believe that he had fallen as far as he had from from the player that we saw when he came up in his rookie year, and and really looked for all intents and purposes like he was going to be he was going to be a star. He wasn't going to be a superstar, but he was going to be a guy who was going to be able to put up you know solid you know 280 290 tab seasons, play good defense. And to get with the point where he is now, and to his credit, at least he is playing solid defense. But you know, you never thought that he was going to get to the point where he was going to be the the weak hitting second baseman in the city where the other second baseman is Darwin Barney. I mean, that's just it's hard to imagine how far his his bat has fallen. The thought, you know, there have been a lot of scapegoats for this. Um, there, were, there was a thought that it was far too crazy in the clubhouse when Ozzie Guillen was there. Greg Walker was sacrificed um, as the hitting coach to try to, to think that, you know, they could bring in someone to, that, that he was messing too much with uh, Beckham's uh, swing. Um, so that's a long way of saying no. I mean, I think that ship has sailed. I think he is what he is. He's a, he's a good glove guy at second base. He plays hard. He's got a little bit of pop, but he just makes way too many outs to be a valuable second baseman at this point. And I, I just don't see that changing. And uh, John Danks uh, had a lousy year and shoulder issues. Are they the kind of shoulder issues that um, that pitchers don't come back from, or are they the kind of shoulder issues that four months off fixed? 
Well, I think, you know, the, the club certainly feels that he's going to be back strong. And, you know, if there's one thing about the White Sox over the years that's been a constant, it's that, you know, their training staff has, has gotten a lot of laurels and hearty handshakes. A lot of people think that they do a really good job of keeping uh, their players, especially their pitchers, on the field. So when you, when you start looking at, you know, are the White Sox going to improve? Where can they possibly improve on last year with this aging lineup? One of the things you think of is Danks will be coming back. And, you know, with Danks, if he's healthy and with PV, if he is healthy again for a second season, um, Chris Sale, having looked so well, uh, so good on the mound uh, in the rotation last year, um, and uh, hopefully with Gavin Floyd, you know, the, the, short, the elbow problems that he had last year are behind him. You look at that and you go, that's a good rotation. But three of those four guys have recent injury issues. Uh, the fourth guy, Chris Sale, who's a wonderful talent, but he's got a, a delivery that absolutely gives scouts the willies. And us. Um, we have talked about right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, li- I like you know, it. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the, right, yeah, you like it, but you're not, you're not the one that has to, you know, clean up his shoulder and his elbow in two years when it, when it blows out. Right. So, there, you, you know, you don't want to wish injury on anyone, but the smart money would say it's not really likely that all four of those guys are going to going to give you 30, 32, 33 turns this year. Um, so if Danks, there might be some improvement in the rotation, but even if Danks is back healthy, I don't know if it's enough to make the, the White Sox better enough to be able to catch the Tigers. Are you a believer in Tyler Flowers? <laughs> well, that's, uh, am I? Um, well, I believe that he will be the catcher, if that's what you mean. <laughs> uh-huh. um, he, you know, he had... He, Two years ago, he had a, a nice year at, at AAA. It was kind of a bounce back year for him. Um, he, uh, both he and Diane Vicieto looked looked good in the minors. It looked like they'd maybe turned a corner in their development. They were, especially Vicieto, seemed to you know be taking some more pitches to be a little bit more selective at the plate. Flowers, interestingly enough, we, you know was long known as a bat first catcher. The questions were about his defense. At this point, it seems like the the, the organization's happy with his defense, but he's done nothing with with uh, the bat at, uh, at the major league level at this point. Um, he he may be a, a he may be a decent catcher. He may be able to put up some numbers, but the problem for the White Sox is that the man he's replacing is AJ Pierzynski, who was channeling Carlton Fisk last year. You know, he put up ridiculous power numbers. Um, Tyler Flowers isn't going to do that. So there's one one more spot in the lineup that you can see the White Sox uh, uh, regressing. You know, Vicieto might be the only guy in that lineup that you look at and go, well, we might get some more production out of that position. He's still young enough, but you know, he, he hit 25. Home runs, but a uh, 300 OBP, you're just making way too many outs um, to to be uh, effective. And when your big um, offseason acquisition in the lineup is Jeff Kepinger, it means you don't have a big offseason acquisition. Um, and there are far more places in the lineup where you think that there are going to be there's going to be regression. Um, Canerco going into his late 30s, eventually he's going to have to start. You know, Father Time is going to catch up with him, and he's going to start losing production. Adam Dunn, it's amazing that he's only what 33 years old. He plays like he's 43. You know, that's not going to end very well over the next couple of years. And Alex Rios turns into a pumpkin in uh, every odd number of years. So you know, last year he was a nice player. This year, he's just as likely to, you know, put up sort of the disaster that he put up in, in 2011. So um, there, there's just not a lot of places when you look through that lineup where you go, they're going to be able to, um, you know, be better, put up more runs than they, they were last year. More likely, they're going to score fewer runs. In the meantime, the Tigers have gone out and uh, they're getting Victor Martinez back. They've gone out and signed Tory Hunter. And probably most important for their lineup and for their mojo, they've gotten rid of Delman Young. So in three different ways, the Tigers will be better, and I just don't see how the White Sox can match that. 
I guess that takes us to prediction time, which you almost were sort of making one there. Uh, do, you, do you want to predict where you think they'll finish? How many games you think they'll win? Yeah. Well, do I want to? Well, I have to, right? I mean, it is kind of a tradition. Yes. Um, well, definitely I've been talking about regression. So, I, you know, they were 85 and 77 last year. I still think that there's enough talent to be a winning ball club, but just barely. So I've got them at 83 and 79. Um, in second place, um, still holding out against uh, the Royals and the Cardinals and um, the, uh, boy, the Twins. That's that's an ugly franchise right now. But um, yeah, second place, no playoffs. I concur, I think. Uh, all right. I guess we're done. Thank you for coming on to, to talk about the White Sox with us. And I guess we will talk to you again in a few weeks when we finally make our way to the NL Central. That sounds great. Good to talk to you guys. All right. Uh, after the intro, Mark Gonzalez from the Chicago Tribune. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. I'm Pete Barrett, and joining me today on the telephone is Mark Gonzalez, who covers the White Sox for the Chicago Tribune. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure you're looking forward to the season. How did you enjoy SoxFest? Uh, it actually was entertaining, but mostly from a historical standpoint. Uh, hearing some stories from the members of the 1983 team, but what really stood out was uh, Jack McDowell talking about his stamp days and how much his team was fired up against Oklahoma State after losing to them in 1986 and hearing a post-game show in which the pitching coach from Oklahoma State at the time ripped them and how Jack and his teammates made a vow entering the following season that they're going to win the national championship and beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which they did. Uh, White Sox manager Rob Ventura entering his second season. What did you notice in his development as a manager last year? Um, he got a pretty good feel for his personnel. I think that's going to be a big step going into 2013. Uh, he also managed uh, by his gut as the season progressed. He he took every out down the stretch as if it was the, the 27th out of, the, of each game. Uh, sometimes that, that worked. Sometimes it backfired. But uh, um, he seemed to have a better feel for his personnel as, as the season progressed. Do you think players like playing for a manager like Ventura who's close to their own age? Um, if he can relate well, and I think he did in some instances, especially uh, given guys days off or, or uh, even uh, kind of talking to him before the next game to let him know that, that uh, they were going to be sitting or playing. I think players like that comfort of knowing when they're going to play, when they're going to take a rest, uh, knowing the role, and I think Robin's pretty good about that, and I think that helps that he's not too far removed from the game. I look at this rotation, the projected rotation at least, Chris Sale, Jake Peavy, John Danks, Gavin Floyd, Jose Quintana. It, it looks to be one of the strongest in the division. Uh, where, where do you think it sits in the American League? Um, they think it's pretty strong too. I think their, their big issue is uh, there's a team uh, that won the division last year that got stronger with the re-signing an Annabelle Sanchez, but uh, I think that they're, they have a pretty good rotation. I think the key, uh, strangely enough for me, is going to be uh, Quintana more than Danks. All indications are John Danks is going to be fine when the season starts. Uh, Quintana faded 
as did Chris Sale. I see Sale coming back. But I think overall this rotation is going to keep them in contention for at least a while. ESPN's Keith Law ranked the White Sox number 28th in baseball in terms of minor league systems. Do you agree with that assessment? I, I find it hard to disagree with it simply because um, they have they have some talent, just not enough depth. And I think what happens is they really address their needs when they call guys up in a stopgap situation as they did last year. I believe one game they used eight rookie pitchers to win a game. I think they, they do a decent job of addressing some of their needs as it relates to the major league level. But a lot of times in the past they've traded prospects to get everyday guys. And I think, I think that's where you see the, the lack of depth come in. I think they've done a better job of uh, drafting high school kids with high ceilings. And I think that you'll start to see their ratings move up. But until um, they keep more of their guys and start developing more of their uh, younger players, uh, that ranking's not going to move up for a while. So while they're number 28, do you think they are moving in the right direction? I think they are. I think they did a terrific job in the draft with Courtney Hawkins. I think that was a, a solid pick. And I think you're starting to see some of the other draft picks that, that were high picks, high school kids, such as Trace Thompson, who I think has got a, a great chance to succeed if he can cut down a strikeout. So that raw talent where uh, they're high school kids, and I don't want to knock the college game because I think highly of the college game, but I think when you get a kid out of high school and you make him a, a year-round player, uh, he's yours. You can control the time, whereas in the NCAA, they only have X amount of hours you can work with them. So I think they did a really good job of identifying some raw talent kids and letting them blossom. Adam Dunn had a major bounce back year, at least in terms of power, 41 home runs uh, relative to 11 in 2011. Now, that was certainly a lost year, but is this a a season coming up, 2013, where you think the average could uh, rise a little bit more towards where it was before 2011? I think so. I think the adjustment uh, from the National League to the American League was a little overwhelming for him, as well as uh, becoming a full-time DH. I think he's gotten... Uh, better in those departments, and I think playing first base a little bit more in 2013 will really help him. Uh, I also think he's become a, a little bit of a s- smarter hitter, although he struck out a lot. I think he needs what what needs to be fixed, and that is um, not getting into deep counts as much as in the past. I know he's got a terrific eye, but uh, he is really susceptible in, in deep counts, especially full counts. He struck out, I believe. Uh, 55 times in about 100 and so at bats in, in, in full count situations. So I expect them to be a better contact hitter, and I think that'll reflect when his batting average goes up. You wrote a really great piece uh, about the Sox GM Rick Hahn, and uh, uh, during Sox Fest, uh, Williams and him joking around a little bit. Can you talk specifically because this is baseball's prospectus about Hahn's uh, sabermetric background? Yeah, you know he did well with with contracts. Uh, really getting a lot of cost control for this organization. And I think Rick uh, has done a lot of work uh, with contracts and using numbers to project where players' values were and all of that. But he also has scouted a little bit, too. Kenny Williams really gave him a lot more duties in the past five years to really prepare him for this position. But uh, his, his background has been statistics, and he's done a, a pretty interesting job so far in applying that to the roster. We've seen what he's done with Jeff Kepinger signing him, and Kepinger's been a guy that the White Sox really need, a guy that makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out much, has a high on-base percentage, and is a guy that really helped him at the top of the order. I think you'll see the White Sox uh, 
make a transition subtly to that that direction. I love the Kevinger signing. Uh, great player, of course. You talked about maybe the the lack of depth in the minor league system. How about depth uh, at the major league level on the twenty five man roster? Uh, say the bench. Do they have enough depth? No, and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, as of right now, you know Dwayne Wise would probably be their their lone outfielder if they, if they go with only four outfielders. Uh, Angel Sanchez, who I've heard some really good things about, would be their utility guy. But you don't really don't have that season left-handed pinch hitter off the bench that teams really need. Now, maybe Dwayne Wise can do that, but, you know, he's 33 and just coming to his own right now as a better hitter. Uh, and they also really are questionable uh, behind the plate, behind Tyler Flowers. If Flowers gets an injury, um, they could be in some serious trouble. We saw that. A few years ago, I believe when Toby Hall got hurt last week of spring training, I had A.J. Pruszynski doing most of the catching because they were just stuck with Gustavo Molina behind the plate. So I think their depth uh, is a big question. I think it's something that's overlooked right now. I look forward to watching uh, the AL Central and seeing how it will shake out. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MD Gonzalez. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Take care.